It's so good just to sit and and lift our voices and worship to God, the God of the universe, a God who knows us and sees us and and a God who reveals himself to us. When you go to the New Testament, there's just several passages that talk about who God is and, and how he operates in the world. You know, Jesus had a little brother named James, and James wrote about this gift-giving God. Here's what he said in the Bible. Every good and perfect gift is from God. It comes down from the Father. God is a gift giver. Another author of scripture is Paul, and Paul used to call himself, uh, like he held the, the world record for sinning, is what Paul said. He said he was the world's worst sinner, and sometimes I think I'm in competition with him for that, that award. I don't know about you. I'm a bit of a mess sometimes. But Paul wrote about the grace that God gives us. Here's what he said in, in um, 2 Corinthians. Let us give thanks to God for his gift of grace. It is so great that no one can tell us how wonderful it really is. In a different place, Paul wrote these words. When people sin, they earn what sin pays, death. But God gives us a free gift, life forever in Christ Jesus our Lord. When I was, when I was typing that, word, that verse into my computer, free gift came up and there's a little line under it. You know how you get a line when there's a, a grammatical error? And it said, free gift, that's, that's repetitive. You don't need to put it that way. You don't need to type that in because gifts are always free, right? When's the last time you got a birthday gift and you said, I'll pay you back for this later, you know? No, no, gifts are free and God is a gift giver. He gives us amazing gifts. Now, I don't know what you think about God. I know many of you, but I don't know all of you. I don't know what you think about God. I don't know how you wonder about him or the questions that you would ask him if you were able to come before him. I'm not sure what you think about his character or the way he works in the world today. But I believe that everyone in this room, everyone watching online, all of us have thought about God, have wondered about him, have pursued who he is and what he's all about. So I don't know what you've thought about God, but I'm pretty sure I can say that we've all thought about him, that we've taken time to reflect on him. And it seems clear in scripture that the first followers of Jesus, those that walked with Jesus and observed how he lived his life, that chose to lay their lives down to follow him, that they would say that God was, is a gift giving God. If you said to them, tell me a little bit about what you know about God, they would say, well, there's so much I could say. But one thing I know for sure, God is a gift giver. And so if God is a gift giver, then one of the questions for us this morning is, how are we at receiving gifts? How are you at being a gift receiver? How do you take in the gifts that God wants to pour into your life? Can you accept with a grateful heart what he is giving you? Or, or do you find it difficult to accept something you didn't earn or you can't repay? I have a friend of mine named Annie who lives in Minnesota, and uh, we used to serve together. The first church I was a part of was in Minnesota, and uh, Annie worked with the students, and I was the pastor, so I was kind of, her, I was her boss, and, but we got to know each other real well, and eventually I moved down to Colorado to take a different church uh, a setting there in Colorado, and about a year after I moved, Annie called me, and we talked on the phone for a minute, kind of catching up, and then she said, Nate, I want, I want to do something a little strange. I want to, I want to give you something, and I said, okay. What is that? And she she paused for a minute, and then she went on to talk about how when she was growing up, her family would often take vacations together. She said, I would watch my parents save up money, and then once a year, my brother and I and the four of us, we would go on some great vacation, some crazy fun thing we would do together as a family. And she said, I loved those vacations. I loved doing it. And she goes, as I've gotten older, she's identified that her love language is gift giving. And she's also identified that not everyone can afford to take a vacation like that, an extravagant kind of vacation. And she said, a little while ago, God put on my heart that I should start saving up money as a single person working full time. I should save up money and then I should bless somebody else by paying for them to take a great trip. 
And she said, Nate, uh, I've been saving up for a little while, and you're the first one I want to give a vacation to. So I want to send you on a week-long cruise to Alaska. That's what she said to me. And I was like shocked into silence for a minute. And when I got my wits about me, I was able to say, well, actually, actually Annie, I, I prefer a Mediterranean cruise, really. I mean, that's, <laughs> we're going to go somewhere. That's where I'd like to go. No, of course, of course I didn't say that. I, I said, Annie, I, uh, I can't believe you want to do that, but there's no way I can take that gift from you. I am not comfortable having you give me that kind of, you know, gift, that kind of money. I mean, there's got to be a better way to use the, that cash for somebody else. And Annie was kind of ready for me. She knew I would push back. So she said, well, Nate, um, you know, you can accept this gift from me, or you can stand in the way of what God wants me to do. And I was like... And when Annie starts to talk that way, I know her well enough, like, it's, you know, the conversation's over. There's no point in trying to push. So I just said, well, um, thanks, uh, thanks. Eventually, I was able to kind of express to her my gratitude, uh, how much it meant to me that she would do that. I mean, I, I went on an Alaska cruise that Annie paid for, and it was incredible that she would do that for me. I was able to say, thank you so much. I, I can't believe you would do this. Um, you know, it's, I was able to embrace, embrace this, this crazy over-the-top, kind of gift, surprise. Some, some gifts are so huge that you can barely accept them without letting go of some of your pride, you know? I mean, like, I, I guess I'm going to do this. Have you ever been offered a, a gift so large, so extravagant, so ridiculously generous that you had a hard time accepting it? Something inside of you said, I, I got to pay this back. I got to make this uh, even again. Or something even that said, you know what, I don't need your gift. I can, I can take care of myself, you know? Have you ever had that kind of response to a gift? There's a spiritual reality here in this idea of gift giving and gift receiving, and it's connected to prayer. Last week, Pastor Jessica talked about prayer. She talked about how when we pray and talk to God, he, that our minds, our brains are rewired and our hearts are reoriented. She talked about when we pray, we are able to uh, our brains, see our brains fire up in different ways. When we uh, find peace and strength and hope uh, as we're talking with God, he's, he's working inside of us. So these are the gifts that God gives us. And the week before that, we talked about asking God for things. We said, what are you asking God for? What are you searching out in your life? Uh, what is, what, how are you knocking on the door of heaven and making your requests? And there are times when uh, we do this and, and, and it's, God helps us grow in our understanding of who he is as we have these conversations with him. And God is working every day to, to move around us. But there's a thought that some of us have. There are times when we, we don't ask God because we've embraced this, this idea that we've heard around sometimes. It says, God helps those who help themselves. You guys ever heard that phrase? God helps those who help themselves. And some people actually believe that's in the Bible. You know, that's, that's scripture, which it's not in the Bible. God helps those who help them. It's a phrase that originally was written by a guy named Algernon Sidney, an English politician back in the 17th century, and later is quoted by Benjamin Franklin in the 1736 Poor Richard's Almanac. But it goes back even further. We hear echoes of it way back, even before Jesus walked. There is a poet named Euripides who wrote in 428 BC, and here's a line from his poetry. He said, try first thyself, and after call in God, for the worker God himself for to the worker himself, God lends aid. So you hear the, that phrase in there, don't you? You know, First work at it yourself and then ask God to step up. God helps those who help themselves. Now, it's a half-truth kind of statement because there is some truth to it. There are things that God invites us and you know, asks us to do. There's ways that we're supposed to show up and, and participate in this world so we can provide for ourselves and provide for those we love. In Proverbs 6, it says this, you might sleep a little or take a little nap, you might even fold your hands and rest, 
Then you would be poor, as if someone had robbed you. You would have little, as if someone had stolen from you. In other words, there are things we're supposed to do. We're supposed to work to provide for ourselves. In the New Testament, Paul would write to his protege and say, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. So, you know, when we're able, as we're able, we're supposed to work and provide for ourselves, be in a position where we can help others and invest in others around us. But there's also this other side of this half-truth, and, and sometimes we grab hold of that, and the lie has to do with our inability to accept a gift from God. God helps those who help themselves. Well, the opposite of that is God does not help those who do not help themselves. And that doesn't sound at all like the grace we read about in Scripture, this undeserved favor, this unearned benefit, a gift we cannot pull from God's hands. We simply must receive it, the grace that God offers us. And the problem with living in this belief that God helps those who help themselves is, is that I become my first resource. I'm my first strength. God is second, and people are, are a distant third. You know, I grit my teeth. I suffer in shame and doubt. I fight hard against others to try to get what I need for myself. And I'll go after God only after I've tried everything that I can do. And I'll never go to another person to ask for help. Or if I do, I'm going to say, well, okay, but how can I make this even again? How can I make sure that I pay you back for what you're doing for me? I don't want to be indebted to anyone, so I'm going to make sure we work this out. It's our pride that doesn't allow us to ask for help. It's our misaligned self-image that says we don't want to bother someone with what's going on in our lives. There's this Midwest nice culture that we live in. I, I was in Minnesota, now in Kansas. We don't want to bother anyone with our life. Jessica shared with me some great memes about our Midwest nice culture. I want to share these with you. Midwesterners asking for a favor. Hey, could you help me with this thing? Absolutely no pressure, though. Totally okay if you can't. If you'd rather run over me with your car, that's cool. Are you mad at me? Right? This is the tone that we carry around with us in our Midwest culture. One more here. Put the next one up there. In the Midwest, it's customary to say, all good, no worries when it's not all good and there are plenty of worries, right? We don't, we don't want to burden other people with what's going on in our lives. It can be difficult for us to ask for help, to open up what's really going on and invite God to move on our behalf. If you're looking, if you're here this morning and you're looking for hope and help, if you're looking for healing, I just want to say, ask God, talk to God about it. He is a gift giver. He wants to pour into your life what is needed. Don't make it the last thing you do. Let it be the first thing you do. Invite God to move. He is not stingy. He is not limited. He is not hesitant or unsure. He is ready to bring what you need, but we need to ask for it. We need to come to him and open our hands and receive the gift from him. There's a passage in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews that talks about this idea, and I want to invite you to open up to it with me, Hebrews chapter 4. It's way in the back of the New Testament, one, almost one of the last books in the Bible. Hebrews 4, we're going to look at verses 9 through 16. And uh, we're not sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, a lot of people believe maybe Paul did because it sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul. But Paul would often start his letters and end his letters by, you know, saying, hey, it's me, Paul. And then he would say, checking out, see you later, Paul. Yeah, but he doesn't do that. There's nothing like that in this letter. In fact, there's a, an ancient church leader from the early church who lived in northern Africa named Tertullian, and he wrote about 150 years after Jesus left the planet. And he said that he thought, he said Hebrews was written by, by um, Barnabas, 
the co-worker of Paul that kind of traveled with him in that first journey. So maybe Barnabas wrote but Hebrews, but we're just not sure. But we know it's a scriptural that it's helped the church for centuries, and so it's in the Bible for that reason. And the point of Hebrews is to help us understand that following Jesus is the best kind of life we can live. That there's no other way to encounter God and walk with God than through Jesus. He is the best. And and even compared to the Old Testament way of life, the the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments, and all the instructions the Jews lived under, that Jesus fulfills all of that and raises us above that into even a better relationship. And so in Hebrews chapter 4, the writer's talking about that. Look at verse 9. Kind of right in the middle, you might want to read this whole passage later to kind of get the context. But right in the middle here, verse 9, he writes, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For those who enter God's rest also rest from their own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following the exa- their example of disobedience. Whose example? We'll get to that in just a second. But, but rest, you hear the word rest here a few times. Do, do you want to find rest? Are you interested in finding rest with God? Life so often does not feel like rest. We're busy, we're hurried. And even when we try to head out of town and get a few days off, when you jump in the plane and fly to the beach, you ever been on vacation, sitting there enjoying a day off, and all you can think about are all the anxious, worried thoughts of what's going back on back home. You know, what's, what's waiting for you when you return from a few days off. When the writer of Hebrews here talks about rest, he's talking about a life that we are created for, a life of purpose and energy and power and focus, all the good things that God wants to pour into our lives. And he he kind of sums it up by saying rest, a place where you are able to lit down and be present with God fully, a place where you can sit with him. And he's specifically going back to the Old Testament people, the Jewish people, as they're wandering through the wilderness, leaving slavery in Egypt and heading to this land of promise. And they're moving towards that land of promise. That's, the land of promise for them was, was rest, was a place of comfort, a place they could call home. And God is guiding them all the way up to the doorstep of that place, this land. Do you, do you want to find rest And maybe a better question would be, uh, what do you do with rest? Can you engage with rest? Is it a waste of time from your perspective? Is it hard for you to rest? The people of Israel, they get to the promised land and they're at the doorstop and they can't get in. They don't go in. First, they don't go in because they don't know if God really wants to give them rest, really wants to give them the land. And so it's a trust issue. And then a few weeks later, they try to do it on their own. They say, okay, let's take it. And they forget to invite God into the equation. And so it's their pride that keeps them from entering that place of rest, their home. So in Hebrews 9, the writer says, let's go into that place of rest. Let's find that Sabbath rest that we are promised and invited into. He says, don't be like those in the wilderness who who would refuse it because of their pride, because of their lack of trust. He says, enter, find that place of comfort, find that home. In verse 12, he continues, He says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Why is it hard for us to enter the rest? Well, the word of God will help us figure that out. Why can't we enter the rest? The word of God will peel back the layers of our heart and help us examine What is it that keeps us from finding a home with God, from finding our our place with God, our conversation with God? 
The word of God is really the revelation of God. It's how uh, we know him. It's how he reveals himself to us. God would not be knowable if it wasn't for his word. And, and the, the word of God here, it says it's like a scalpel that cuts right down into our hearts. It gets through all the self-righteousness, all the pretending, all the earning, all the ways we try to make ourselves look good. And it slices through all of that and gets down deep into what's really going on. And there are times we don't even know why we're doing what we're doing. God offers us this gift of grace, and we see it there under the Christmas tree, but we're not opening it. We're not even taking it and receiving it because we're so busy. And Scripture helps us see what we're doing. This half-truth that God helps those who help themselves, it's confused our approach to God because the truth is God helps those who are willing to receive his grace. God helps those who are willing to receive his way of life, his, his gift, his grace. And God's word reveals our posture towards him. Are we living in grace or are we living some other way? Let's wrap this up, verse 14 through 16. He says, therefore, since God's word has been given to us, since we know who God is because we've been invited into the rest, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let me ask that question again. Do you want to find rest? Do you want to find help in your time of need? What are the areas of your life where you need rest? Are you asking for hope? Are you seeking and searching for peace? Are you knocking on the door to understand what you're supposed to do with this one life that God has given you? If you are, then the writer says, walk into the presence of God. Come into the throne room of grace. Sit, stand before the eternal king and talk to him about what's going on in your life. Jesus has opened the door and invites us in and walk in with confidence, not confidence in yourself, not confidence in all the good things you've done but confident in the one who has opened up heaven to you, our great high priest, Jesus, the only one who can invite us into the presence of God. We put our confidence in Jesus alone. If you're looking for rest, if you're looking for help in need, Jesus is who you're looking for. He is the gift. He is the one who welcomes us in. It's Jesus' death and resurrection that allows us to sit down in this living room with God and, and have a conversation with him. As we talk about prayer, it's like walking into this living room and, and sitting down and with God there with us and just relaxing with God. This is this place of, this is home. This is comfort. And we sit with God and we, we share with him what's going on and, and we listen to what he wants to say to us. And it's, it's in this place of prayer that, that God opens up and takes out our heart of stone our heart that is indifferent to spiritual things, our, our pride, our selfishness, and he takes out of us that heart of stone and he puts us into us a, a soft heart, a heart of compassion and grace, a heart that is teachable and willing to listen. Have you found that home with God, that place of comfort with him? The passage in Hebrews says that when we sit with him, we receive mercy, we receive grace. And there's times when I, I say, that sounds really nice, but that's not always, doesn't always feel like my experience. Sometimes I sit with God and I, I don't feel like I get what I need. Sometimes I'm left wondering, is he really listening? If I'm honest, there's times when I seem to be missing that gift that God is offering me. I've come into the throne room 
and I've asked questions and I've listened, but it doesn't seem like things are changing. Where's the healing? Where's the rest? Where's the transformation? Where's the help? And I want to remind you that there are different avenues that God brings his answers through, that he is always available. He's always listening. He will show up. He promises good gifts to us. And there's times when the avenue he wants to bring it to us through, we, we're just, we're not, we're not allowing it to come. That we've shut that down. And that's why sometimes we ask and we don't receive because God's offering it to us through a certain avenue that we have, we've kind of closed that door. So what are the different ways that God brings his help through? Well, the first way God brings this gift to us, the first way he responds, his help comes to us is through his spirit. The spirit of God is poured into our lives when we become followers of Jesus. And the spirit of God can shift things in us, can change us and transform us in powerful ways. Jesus told his followers it was a good thing that he was leaving. He says, it's good that I go because when I go, God is going to send the spirit of God into you. He's going to dwell in you. And it's good that you're going to have the spirit of God with you. Here's what Jesus said. He said, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. We know that the spirit of God empowers us, corrects us and teaches us, convicts us, actively changes our hearts and minds. When you ask God to do something new in your life, take time to listen to what the spirit wants to say to you. Sometimes you can even ask for it. Say, spirit, would you guide me? Would you speak to me? Would you help me know what it is I should do? change my life, talk to him with boldness and courage. And the New Testament tells us that it's possible, it's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit, to quench the Holy Spirit. We can block that avenue when we are actively pushing away from God, when we're doing things that hurt others or hurt ourselves, what scripture says is sin. When we push away, we're grieving the Spirit and we're, we're blocking that avenue for him to, to teach us and guide us. Another way God brings his help is through his word. We read that just a minute ago. The Word of God, the Bible, is active and living. It's not simply a book that sits on your shelf or alongside your bed. It's a book that has arms and legs. I mean, it moves, it does things, it works, it speaks, it puts on display the truth of God. God has made himself knowable through the Word of God. He's revealed himself to us. How does he work with people? Why did he create? What what does he do uh, when people mess up or when they do great things? We see in Scripture all these stories that help us see how God operates and who he is and about his character. When we read Scripture, we build up this knowledge of truth. We increase our understanding of what is real it helps us stand in the, in the storms of life to be anchored to what is true. So when I doubt, God's word helps me stand strong. When I'm afraid, God's word reminds me that I'm not alone. When I'm lost, all the decisions of life, God's word calls me to hold on and trust that he is working. When we talk about prayer being a conversation, you might wonder, well, how does God speak to me? If it's a conversation, like if it's just me talking, that's called a monologue. That's not a conversation. It's a conversation because God speaks through his word. He talks to you through his word. If you'll open up scripture and read, you'll see him saying things to you. And, and it's difficult. I understand sometimes you read a passage of scripture and it doesn't make sense. It's worth studying. It's worth leaning in and digging in because God speaks through his word. If I want to have a conversation, I need to invite God to speak back to me through reading scripture. Last one, God brings his help through his people. Now, this one can be really tough for us but it's critical to God's plan for healing in our lives. We need each other. We need honest relationships filled with grace and truth. 
when I sit with my small group and I tell them what I'm struggling with and I ask them to pray with me, they can walk with me. They can, God can use them to encourage me. If I won't tell them what's going on, they can't walk with me. They won't know how to pray for me. We need to be honest with the people around us. And of course, sometimes people will let you down. People will sometimes hurt you. Sometimes you'll ask for help and somebody's going to say no. And still, God chooses to work through us, through them. Time and time again, God's plan A for the healing of the nations is his church, is his people. Speaking through them, bringing hope and love and grace through his people. His adopted daughters and sons, bringing the help that is needed, especially to those who feel like they're in a dead end. And we show up and say, hey, here's a way to walk. Here's a way to find hope again. The New Testament tells us over and over again that we're supposed to show up for each other, to love one another, to carry each other. Even those who don't believe like us, what Scripture sometimes talks about loving your enemies, those who stand against you, we're supposed to still love them and walk with them and encourage them. You, today, you might be the first experience someone has with the grace of God. You might be the first experience someone has with God's goodness and faithfulness when you show up because we're supposed to bring that with us. And this is why we gather and God uses us and uses other people to help us as well. We need to be open to one another. God brings his gifts through his spirit, through his word, through his people. God brings his gifts through his spirit, through his word, through his people. These are the avenues that he answers your prayers. If you feel like you're not hearing from him, if you're wondering what he's doing because it seems to be taking a long time, think about those avenues that he's using to speak into your life. Are any of those closed? Are any of those, are there obstacles blocking those? We want to take some time and just worship God right now. We want to take some time and receive the gift of life that he offers us. God helps those who are willing to receive his grace, and we want to receive his grace right now. Worship is one of those ways that our hearts get opened up in a unique way. Worship is really the idea of surrendering our lives. So we're going to sing a few songs together as we finish up our service. We're going to invite God to speak to us. And I want to encourage you to take whatever posture is going to help you during this time. If, if sitting where you're at and reading some scripture right now would help you, do that. If sitting and just opening your hands to God so he might pour into you his spirit, do that. If you want to stand up and lift your hands, do that. If you want to come forward and, and just kneel at the altar here and pray in God's presence, you can do that. Let's take some time and just receive this gift of life that God has given us as we sing. So let's worship together. What's incredible about the grace of God is that we can worship like this anytime. His presence is just as available to us tomorrow morning as it is right now. Don't miss out on what the Spirit of God is doing in your heart and in your life. Invite him. Talk to him. Ask him to move. Open up yourself to the work of the Spirit and the words of his scriptures and the, the voices of his people to help you grow in faith. It's so good to be together this morning. I'm so glad that you're here. As you go, uh, take with you the Spirit of God. He, he invites us to bring him into the world, to be light and salt and hope for, for all that we encounter, all those that we see. So go and bring light to dark places. Next Sunday, we'll gather again and talk about listening to God, being silent before him. I hope you'll join us. We'll see you next Sunday. Go with God. Amen.